I'm Luis Lizarazzo, and this is Shedding Light Within Entertainment. Each episode, we'll discuss the humans behind the entertainment industry and explore the issues and topics that are impacting their lives. On this bonus episode of Shedding Light Within Entertainment, I'm going to speak with Avon Sewell Ruskin, author of High on Rebellion, Inside the Underground at Max's Kansas City. Avon Sewell Ruskin met Mickey in the fall of 1967 after graduating from college and while applying for a waitressing job at Max's Kansas City, a story that I'm happy she will share with us on this podcast today. They became a couple in the beginning of 1968 and had two beautiful children together, Jessica and Michael. Max's Kansas City attracted musicians, poets, artists, and politicians in the 1960s and 70s. It opened in December 1965, and it closed in 1981. It was a music venue, restaurant, and it was famous in its time because it developed such a following and such incredible performers and artists frequent in there. Allen Ginsberg, Willem Kooning, Fran Lebowitz, Andy Warhol... The Velvet Underground played there regularly, including their last shows with Lou Reed. Max's was legendary because it was ahead of its time. It attracted different people from all walks of life. And that is a lesson that Variato is looking to emulate. Obviously, they're, um, you know, and Yvonne will share some of this. As a bar and a restaurant, there was some dark side to Max's or the diction. And we're hoping to shed light on artists and their struggles and stories in order to help them avoid lives that are cut short because of addiction. Um, So I know that that is one cause that's important to Yvonne and we wanna make sure to call that out here. This conversation was really important to me because when I read Sasha Geffen's book, Glitter Up the Dark, How Pop Music Broke the Binary, it discussed how artists like David Bowie and Patti Smith took inspiration from gender bending androgynous artists who would frequent the back room at Max's. And pop music, was highly influential in helping to spread um, gender fluidity, ambiguity, Ziggy Stardust and what David Bowie created, how um, Patti Smith was able to bring, you know, the power of Iggy Pop and female body and voice is was way ahead of its time. I'm thrilled to be joined today by Yvonne because of the generosity of Judy Siegel, who is a pro bono lawyer in the Westchester area and works directly with Yvonne's nonprofit, Drop Into Maxes. Because of the work that Judy does, Yvonne, who advocates on behalf of artists in need and fearless youth, I believe that the world is a better place. And I'm really happy to share her story on this podcast. Thank you so much to everyone that made this happen. And here comes Yvonne. I loved your book so much. I, <laughs> I, I highlighted it. I have all these oh. like things. And I love that you start off by talking about when you first met Mickey and coming into Max's. Tell, tell us again about that experience. I just want to hear 
what that was like the first time and and really what impact that's had on your life since? Oh, well, I had just graduated college in, in um, the spring of 1967. And um, I had never, I had never flown on an airplane, even though I grew up in Westport, Connecticut, we weren't poor, but we weren't wealthy, like most of the other people in Westport, Connecticut, which, you know, was really, it was a very kind of wealthy suburb of New York City. Um, and so I had not flown on an airplane. And I also had this burning desire to travel around Europe. Um, uh, a lot of my friends had gotten graduation presents to, you know, travel for a period of time before they decided what they wanted to do. So I decided the way I was going to get the money to travel before I settled down to what I was going to do in life um, was that I waitressed in college. And it was an easy way to make money. And I met a lot of people. And so I decided that's what I would do. But before that, I decided I wanted to fly out to Haight-Ashbury for the summer of love and really experience not only being on an airplane, but you know, just being out in San Francisco and, and going to Golden Gate Park and sitting up on Hippie Hill and, and walking down Haight Street and seeing Janis Joplin and the Grateful Dead and all of those experiences were just absolutely spectacular, you know. And I did get to experience that, but then I was running out of funds and had to, you know, decide now it's time to go back. So anyway, I did, I found someone to hitchhike back across country with me. And, and, um, and it, so then I was in New York and I was staying with a friend for a while. Uh, and then I ended up being able to get a place with my sister on West 20th street. She was a social worker at the time. And, uh, I didn't know really where to go anyway. So I was going to like, you know, topless, bottomless. I just didn't know where I was supposed to go to get a job. So I had a friend in New York who was going to Pratt Institute and was quite, has, is now quite really a prominent photographer. And we went to high school together and I went to visit him and, and I said, you know, I don't know where to go. And he said, there's this place, Max's Kansas City that you know opened about a year ago and and as i said where the waitresses were were uh, made tons of money and were treated like stars and so i said oh that's incredible and so and i i said how am i going to get an interview there and so he had said to me that you know we because it was very almost impossible to get an interview there unless you knew someone he said we happened to have a mutual friend that was in two years ahead of me at Staples High School in Westport, but who was a waitress there. And he said, you know, so-and-so is a waitress there. You're going to use her name. That's what's going to get you in the door. So I did, okay. So anyway, I did. And um, I, I got the interview and I was really excited and I really needed this job. So I dressed to the nines and I walked over there and, um, was looking outside at the marquee where it says steak, lobster, chickpeas, this huge marquee. And I honestly didn't, didn't know what chickpeas were. I don't know if you do, if you know what chickpeas are, but we didn't have, I didn't have chickpeas growing up. So, but in any case, and then I, I, I saw this, I was standing outside because I came early. I just wanted to kind of check out the neighborhood 
you know, where it was and, and get a feel for everything. And this man, I saw him coming from the corner, walking down the street and he had this, this very shiny black hair, you know, over his, his right eye. And he had um, a big flower tie on and, and, a, and a jacket, you know, and, and um, he was just, very odd looking, but very interesting looking man. And I followed him, you know, with my eyes and he went into, which is now the W Hotel on the corner of 17th and Park Avenue South. Mm-hmm. Um, then it was a chemical bank and upstairs mm-hmm. they had Guardian Life. And so Mickey, well, I didn't know he was Mickey. I didn't know who he was. This man went into the bank. Anyway, and then I, t- I went in and I was looking around the restaurant and, and it was so, I never seen such a massively big place in my, not in my life. I mean, it was enormous, this place. And mm-hmm. I walked around a bit, you know, and, and um, cause it, you know, it opened at lunchtime and the interviews were four in the afternoon. And, and then I walked around and looked around for a bit. And then I said to the cashier, who was up front, there was a cashier up front. And I said, you know, I'm here for the interview and I was wondering where I'm supposed to go. And she said, you have to go up, go out the door and you go up two flights of stairs um, to the third floor and you sit there and you wait till you call. (laughs) And and, and that's what, and then I think there was maybe one other or two other people there. I don't know, I was so nervous. I didn't even know. I mean, I don't know if I even realized who was there. But anyway, and then I, all of a sudden I was called in and I went in. You had to walk down this hall. And, you know, everything seemed so daunting because it was so big. Mm-hmm. And, um, and and also, you know, I was, I, mean, I was anxious and I needed this job. I mean, I had a certain sense of confidence, but this was New York City. This wasn't college. Mm-hmm. This was, you know, the University of Connecticut. This was, mm-hmm. I had never worked in New York City. So I went in and, and sitting at the desk was this man that I had seen walking down the street. And I went, oh, my God, you know, I, I had no idea who this man was. I didn't know anything about him. You know, I didn't, I didn't know why he was interviewing me, whether he managed the place. I, I really didn't know, like, the the um, politics of New York City and how that really worked. Mm-hmm. I, you know, mm-hmm. who who was in what position and mm-hmm. um, it was all new to me. I mean, of course I had come to New York City and I used to go to, you know, different, we used to use our phony IDs and go to different <laughs> places. And in Greenwich Village, you know, there was one right. place we used to go, but that wasn't, you know, it wasn't like that often. And in any case, so, I sat down and, and and started talking to this man and and we became very engaged in the conversation. Of course, he asked me how I knew Patsy and, and if she was the waitress and et cetera. And so the conversation became, um, it was very um, intense. I'm going to use the word intense. The conversation was very intense because there was a, a real... You know, I, I say it's it's probably because he and I looked alike and we were maybe both narcissistic, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Happens I to say, the best. Yeah, so I said, because there was a real connection. Be, speaking of connection, which we're going to talk about, 
there was a real connection. It was like these kind of sparks were flying. As we talked more and talked more about, you know, and he talked a little bit about himself and, 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 you know, um, he didn't say I own the place, but, but he just, you know, we just talked anyway. And so it ended up that I did get the job, but, you know, he said, I'll try you out because he said that I seemed to be, um, too nice. I to use the word scattered. Scattered. Oh, it's in here. I can yeah, find it. He that. said, I think I said, yeah, yeah. and I said, I said, I, I, I am flighty. I seem very flighty. And I said, I know I appear that way to a lot of people, but I said, make no mistake, I'm very focused, you know? Mm -hmm. <laughs> mm -hmm. And so he said, okay, I'm going to let you try out. Oh, and then I started waitressing there. And, and then I learned, you know, first of all, it was not an easy place to waitress. You know, mm. there were a lot of rules. And Speaking yeah, of gave, politics. Gave you a book and you had to really read that book and know what you could eat, what you couldn't eat. You got to, you got to eat, like you got, when you got a break, you got, you got to have something to eat, but there were certain things you definitely, like you could not eat the shrimp. You could not eat the cheesecake or ice cream. There were certain things you absolutely were not supposed to be eating, you know, because they were very expensive. And there was a lot of waitresses, you know, on the floor in one evening, there was probably about 20, maybe 15, 20 waitresses. I mean, because wow. there were two floors. You know? Right, there were two floors. It was, it was a lot of waitresses, a lot to deal with, you know. Yeah. There were, there were night managers. I worked at the, you know, the night shift. And then I also, in the beginning, you worked till four in the morning. And and then you know we would go out and go to you know Chinatown to Wohops, which was an all night place, you know. Oh, so fun! But I also learned at the time that Mickey that was he owned the place, which I hadn't known. That he was mm -hmm. the owner, and that he was married, and he had children. And because I actually I missed one little part, so I went home after I was so excited about getting the job, and I. Um, raced home to my sister and went in, ran into the apartment and said, I, I got a job at the most incredible place. It's like the most popular place in all of New York City. And I said, you know, and I said, and I just met the man who's going to be the father of my children. Yeah. And, and then, so I really, I really it did really believe that, you know, and, and so when I found out that he was married with children, it was like, Oh my God, yeah, that can't be. <laughs> in, any, in any case, it it did come to pass. You know, it, it was just that at the time things, you know, with him weren't going well in the direction of his personal life. And um and 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 so I actually ended up leaving the job after a while and started teaching. But I would come in to visit him, you know. And, and I had, uh, they, you know, the uh, cashiers love to talk. They love to tell you things. So I had heard that, you know, um, he was, uh, took someone away for a weekend. And I said, okay, <laughs> now I, that it's, I, it's time. I gotta, <laughs> I gotta real, really like feel this deal. Here. Make my move. Yeah. Yeah. Make my move. So that's what I came in to visit him one afternoon and, and he said he was going to pick up his daughter from a birthday party. And I said, oh, can I come with you for the ride? And he said, oh, okay, you know. And that's when he actually first asked 
if we could see each other again. And that was really the beginning of our, our consummate relation, our love relationship. Wow. <laughs> yeah. And, and my world into, in my world into Max's Kansas City, because I had left Max's. I mean, right. for all intents and purposes. And, and truthfully, Max's it wasn't in, you know, it was a place I would go to dinner, but I wasn't really a hanger outer. Mm-hmm. I wasn't someone who would go to the same play. I did it in high school. I went every afternoon, like a right. lot of us did, to the soda pop shop, you know, and got your, mm-hmm. your soda and your French fries. But I, I wasn't somebody, there was so many people. I hadn't really fo- found what I call my tribe, you know, at mm-hmm. Max's. Right. There was just, everyone was so busy you know, either trying to make money or get discovered or right. beat whoever they were going to meet. So, um, so that's what I'm saying. I, I would not have been someone who would just go in there and just sit, sit around and hang out. However, that gave me my entry into that world, I guess, you know. Yeah. Yes. So I thank you so much for sharing all that. And um you know, you touched upon it in terms of connection. And I want to talk a little bit more about connection, but really from a frame, uh, frame, framing it through the eyes of culture. Yes. Max had a very, uh, Max's Kansas City had this incredible culture that drew people in, right? And that drew in, uh, really incredible, famous people, and also helped to create really incredible, famous people, both from the music world, the art world, you know, all different kinds of artists. And that really speaks to me and what I'm trying to do at Variato. I'm so um, drawn to the work that you're doing with Drop Into Maxes. So could you talk a little bit more about, you know, the legacy of Max's and what made that culture and and what you're hoping to give back to the world with your work? Yeah, well, I'm, you know, I don't, I, I think I mentioned in the, in the book, my book, High on Rebellion, but I, Mickey wasn't really aware at the time that um, when he got the place, you know, that uh, because it was a, it was a place where nothing was going on at nighttime. There wasn't anything there. It was really this dead zone, you know. When mm. you had, uh, but what he didn't know at the time, because he had he had a big following because he had several places before that. He had a coffee house, and then you know he expanded to a larger coffee house where poets came to read, and and he uh, then he. Uh, with a partner started the Ninth Circle in the West Village, which was a steakhouse. And a lot of the artists started coming over there. They used to all hang out at this place on university called Cedar Tavern. That was kind of their hangout and that closed. And so they all started coming over to the Ninth Circle. So between the poets and the, and, and the artists, he, and he already had created this following because Mickey had a very, you know, it was funny, he had two sides, like I think we all do. He had an acerbic side to his personality, but he also had this extremely generous and caring side for humanity and for 
those in the arts, and I think those really who were struggling. And he went at, learned when he had the night circle and the artists started hanging out there that this was his tribe. These were the people that he felt most comfortable with, that he could have a conversation with. He felt that they were the smartest people on earth, you know. And so then when he um, sold out to his partner and went away for a year and then came back when he wanted to open another place, um, he, had to, he had to open above 14th Street because there was a no competition clause. And that he wouldn't let him out of that he wouldn't let him out of, right. So so he took this place, not really knowing what was gonna happen, but what he didn't know was that all of the fashion photographers had their studios around there in that area, or either on Broadway or Park or Fifth Avenue and not so far from Max's. And a lot of artists had their lofts in that area and poets you know, up just up the street. And then Albert Grossman, who had, it was the manager for, uh, you know, Janus Joplin and Bob Dylan and the band and um, Paul Butterfield and Jesse Winter on and on, had, he lived at Gramercy Park. So, you know, and then he was the first one ever to trade art for tabs. I love that. Yeah, barter. With, 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 yeah, he bartered, and, and that really brought the artist in. And then the artist, you know, wanted to lure the art dealers and the art critics, so they would then invite them to dinner because now they had this tab, you know, <laughs> so, and they could impress. And, yes, steak. they could impress them, and and then they Vicky would put their art on the walls, and mm. then they would he, they could lure them to their studios. You know, and then Albert Grossman said he would like his artists to have a tab that they could run a tab and, you know, and he would pick up. Then you had Warhol who moved his factory down to Union Square, who, cause he used to come there for his lunch meetings, who all of a sudden kind of took over the back room with all his superstars. And it was just this, it, it really was this incredible mix of, just all these different forms of the arts, you know. Right. But what what I want to bring up about connection and the legacy is that um, I, 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 this this wonderful director, her name is Andy uh, Timoner, T I M O N E R. Um, she was actually one the I think the only director that won the jury prize two years in a row at Sundance Film Festival. And she recently came out with a uh, documentary called Coming Clean about the opioid addiction. And, and, and of course, with, you know, um, Oxycontin and the companies that were, you know, with greed and how much money they made. But there was deaf people in there, you know, who had been ex-addicts. And what they said, one of the things I remembered very clearly that they said in the film is the opposite of addiction is connection. And that really struck with me because one thing about Max is, is you really made strong connections. You really, you really became an extended family because we kind of all were creative types. 
that found this haven where we felt that we were accepted. It was about acceptance because Max's was the first place ever to allow transgenders. Back then it was transvestites. They, would, they could not dress up, they would be thrown in jail. You know, and that was, and, and then it, he also had the first gay um, doorman and, 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 and really embraced that the world of the gay culture and, and, uh, and before Stonewall Rebellion. Right. So in the he, book you say, in the book, I like the way you put it. Um, the culturally, it was the straights and the freaks. Yeah. And I think that that, you yes. know, that Mickey was really trying to bring in the freaks because he knew that those were the smartest, most daring, most creative people there were. Yes. And then because, yes, because at, at uh, where Chemical Bank was on the corner, you had Guardian Life upstairs. Now, these would get very straight guys. But when everybody came for uh, happy hour, because Mickey put out free food every afternoon, to create, again, more of a, of a uh, people, allowing people to really find those connections with each other mm -hmm. in different culture, different backgrounds. And all of a sudden, everybody was the same. Right. Yeah. Well, you know, one of the stories that I read that I found really incredible. So I've read a few books to prepare myself for this right. conversation. Your you book, of course, and then Glitter in the Dark, which right. I thought was amazing um, because it talks about two artists that I know that spent a lot of time at Max's and that took a lot of their creative expression from their discovery at Max's. And those two artists are David Bowie and Patti Smith. Oh, really? Both yes. are mentioned in this book because they really were the beginning of um, self-expression based around androgyny. You know, yes. um, when you think about Ziggy Stardust, who was a creation of David Bowie, apparently he got that idea from meeting people at Max's. Yeah, Velvet Underground. Right. Yeah. And that's just so incredible to me. And Patti Smith also yeah. developed her persona yes. of androgyny through meeting others. Yes, um, in that back room mainly. In that back room. Yes, exactly. And 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 and, and Iggy Pop and <laughs> right, right, exactly. But, but, and, and Lou, don't forget, you know, he uh, Lou Reed, even, yeah. Lou at one point even married it. You know, a lot, a lot of it too back then was, um, I think it was really people were. I, I don't know, maybe I would call it multisexual then, mm -hmm. rather than bisexual. They were, mm -hmm. they were in. There was a certain androgyny. Yeah, totally. I mean, yeah. even, yeah. well, even ambiguity, right? Because Patti Smith yeah. was in a relationship with Robert Maplethorpe, right. who was a gay man. Right. And she was a, um, a, 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 a heterosexual woman. It's right. just, but they were drawn to each other because of that creativity. You know, it's, it's just crazy. It's amazing to me that a place like Max's existed. I've told you this before, you know, I'm a big fan of Ian Schrager and what he did with Studio 54 and now Public in New York. And to me, Max's is really a precursor to all of that. The doorman, yes. the, the curation, the creativity, 
the um also one thing that i loved that um that mickey did leading into the creation of Max's was he really wanted this one he was like this is going to be it this one is going to be the one that makes it so he put time into figuring out which stakes even down to you know developing the right. menu, the concept yes. feedback taking you know having a soft opening and then you know it must have been expensive that real estate that much real estate to do to make sure that he got it right really says something about the kind of business he wanted to build yeah yeah, well, he really wanted a place for his friends to just hang out. <laughs> he really did. And, you know, and, and Mickey would always always said, you know, if he didn't own the place, he probably wouldn't get in. Because, <laughs> you know, but, but it gave, but he always wanted to be part of the village. You know, right. that was, and he was too shy. Right. He was a lawyer. He was a straight lawyer from New Jersey, you know. Right. And, and, and this gave him, well, started off with the coffee house. But it, it, he finally felt that he belonged somewhere. And I think that is what everybody felt. That, right. oh my God, we actually belong somewhere. <laughs> you know what I mean? Because right. in a lot of cases, I think they might've felt like outcasts in a certain sense, you know? Yeah, totally. And, but, but everybody, every, that's the thing, everyone, had this wonderful connection with each other. And as I say, when I talk about the, you know, fearless youth, express yourself without fear in positive ways, drop into Max's. I really, the goal in me doing this and carrying on the legacy besides helping artists in need um, is to inspire and motivate young people to become fearless, to, you know, how is it that we face challenges when they come our way? you know, and, and finding that where we feel we fit in and, and that, and, and, and going into that inner light that we can shine through, you know, and, um, it, which is really one of the things I think Mickey, Mickey allowed people to be their authentic selves. So ahead of his time. And, and, and it, it, that's not it possible in a lot of places no it's very hard and and I think that acceptance and that is what made Mickey so extraordinary you know because I mean Mickey's so extraordinary and then Max is so extraordinary it's like it was so ahead of its time creating a safe place for people yes. to express themselves I mean yes. it drew Andy fucking Warhol in like that is <laughs> amazing to me you know like if I could build a culture that's gonna draw in creatives like that I just want to learn what what it took to do that and you know it sounds like it took some humility too and you know um to even realize that he wanted to build a place that he might not even be able to get into right right exactly you know and that people I mean could as I say express themselves by jumping up on tables and yelling it's showtime everything is coming up roses you know right. and or reciting a poem or but you know you'd have to see some of the scenes and then you right. know Andrea Whips was the the showtime girl you know for the most part other people would right. of course jump up on the table but then she would get a little carried away and the manager would have to come. And, oh man. And the, the, the other, the one thing though, I do want to bring up is that, you know, to, for every light side, there's a dark side, mm. you know, and it, it, it was, 
it was whether you could, um, a lot of people weren't able to handle that kind of freedom. Right. Given yeah, so I much know. freedom. There's stories in, it's, in the it's, book. Right. Yeah. So, it, it, you know, this, and this is what's happening. What, what's happening now, though, is a, a lot of younger people, it's, it's not so much about the freedom that they're having, it's about the isolation that they're having. It's about, they're um, all of a sudden, you know, Zoom isn't doing it for them. Not to say yeah, that right. it's not helping, but right. you need that, that. When we're sitting with somebody or we're playing a real physical right. game with somebody, whether it's ping pong or whether it's a basketball game or right. baseball, there's a certain endorphin that that is set off because of that connection. Just even right. sometimes. If sometimes even sitting next to them that we're not really getting on the uh, over the the internet, you know, oh, and one hundred percent. And so, uh, unfortunately, is why I really feel it's so important to get this my my fearless youth project going, is because I feel the timing on this is is so important right now because there's so many people that are feeling a loss of connection and that, um, you know, like that, that, that sad case where the, the, the young child, you know, got some, uh, a, a drug on Snapchat, not really knowing, that. not really That's knowing terrible. what it is, you know, because they get bored and they, oh, Snapchat, oh, and, and then, you know, so you, people use, you know, there's people out there that use social media to exploit other people, especially young people, you yeah. know? Yeah, I know it's, you know, I, I have a, a younger brother who I love very much. He's 18 years younger than me. Um, and it's been really hard through this uh, um, pandemic to see his experience because he graduated high school while this was going on. He started college while this was going on. And, you know, even just hearing you talk about what you were doing when you graduated college, right. you know, and me thinking back to what I did when I was graduating high school and college. And, you know, it's really, it's unfortunate because there's no way to make that up with Zoom. These, these, these moments that are just milestones in your life. And right. you know, I agree. I think it's really important that we are mindful of that. That's really a privilege that we had that these youth are not having is coming into their own through human social interactions. Yes. Yes. So I I will commit to to giving back to those youth. And you know, with Variato, I, I I'm hoping that I can reach younger people as well that are talented and feel like they need an advocate. But it's really, I think I love what you're doing by giving back. And I think we should talk a little bit more about artists in need and yes. what you're doing with artists in need and, yes. and what you see with artists in need. Well, I'm, you know, I don't, I, again, you know, artists for the most part are, are creatives. I'm not saying everyone and I'm not, I'm not, you know, like pigeonholing people. However, for the most part, they're creative. So they're not as business minded mm -hmm. as one might be. Right. That's true. Yeah. I think there are exceptions. There are exceptions. Of course, right? always and it's exceptions. very notable. Like right. I, there's one for me that I'm thinking about Marcy Richards at Opera Gaga. I've told you about her before. Yes. She's very outspoken about being out of work. 
And I think that that is something that is probably outside of an artist's natural inclination because the artist is always looking for work, you know? Exactly. But this is a very different situation. But it also so, feeds their spirit. Their spirit, exactly. You know, yep. Doing their, their whether, whether you're playing music, whether you're dancing, whether you're drawing, whether you're acting, you know, whatever it is, whatever form of your art discipline is, that feeds your spirit. That's mm -hmm. what your destiny is. And one does, even if you have a reserve, a reserve fund, you know, I mean, things happen that we cannot anticipate. Yeah. Not just the pandemic, because I've been doing this for 20 years, mm -hmm. you know, but you, you could be riding your bicycle and, 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 and get hit by a car. Mm -hmm. And all of a sudden you find yourself in the hospital and you don't have the proper insurance or you don't have enough insurance or you, you, you need dental work and, and you don't have dental insurance. Most of us don't have dental insurance, you know, or right. some kind of, uh, there's all kinds of scenarios. You need surgery, you, you, and, um, now all of a sudden you're, but, or, or we had a case where somebody never ever expected to be laid off. She had been in the art department for nine years and I'm not gonna mention the networks, one of the major networks. And in a wildest fantasy, she never expected to be laid off. And all of a sudden she gets this notice that they're laying people off and they were giving them X amount of severance pay. Well, how much, how far do you think that severance phase goes when you have a kid to support and, and you have a huge rent, you know, in New York, one of the boroughs or New York City. And, you, and, and not only that, but when you're in certain areas, um, you, you're outsourced. In other words, they want the young kids that have grown up on computers that can do circles around you, uh -huh. you know, or, or they want the the new young dancer, or you know, because now you have to. Not that there's anything wrong with being a dance teacher, but what I'm saying is, it doesn't take long to go through your savings. And right, sudden, I understand. Yeah, and all of a sudden, and it's it's a very humbling experience. Or you're at the top of your game, and all of a sudden, you know, you're reaching a certain age, and your gallery says, you know what, we gotta, we're letting you go. Or, you know, unless I mean, there's, again, again, there's always the exception to the rule, but we're talking, you know, creatives who just love to create, who get by, who make a decent right. living. But, and, and that's what happens. And, and Mickey and, and I connected very strongly. We were both philanthropists on that, on that level of like, basically, you know, finding a way to help artists in need. And however we might be able to empower them and 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 um whether it's making a connection for them opening a door for them giving them rent money for a, a month or you know whatever it is and in that way i decided that it was important to carry on the legacy of, of to keep not only the the legacy of max's out in the public eye but also to really to do the work, you know? Yeah. To, to, no. 
to use the cachet of the name to give people possibilities and hope because when when things are down you kind of lose hope and yeah. you know and just giving somebody a phone call and and knowing that there's somebody out there that cares about what's happening makes a big difference oh i agree yeah, yeah. i've i've really gotten into i've always loved sending thank you cards yes but during COVID, I've really gotten into sending like thinking of you cards. Oh, isn't that lovely? That's so and lovely. People Louise. love it. People, yes. I mean, just because I love getting cards in the mail. And when I send these cards, I get so excited. You know, you send a card, you sort of forget. And then you get the text that the person got it and they're so excited. You know, I agree. Maybe, maybe I need to start sending the artists that I know just a little note to say like, I love you. And I see. Yeah. You. Yeah. I'm going to write that down. All right, it, it, I mean, and it, listeners, this is good. You should send yeah. the people you love cards and especially <laughs> artists in need. So they know that you love them. Maybe have, that uh, could be a, 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 a fearless youth. Um, uh, initiative. Initiative. Yeah. To, 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 you know, for, yeah. And pals. To, yeah. To, to send, you know, 10 people. Yeah. I, I, I'm no, thinking of you, card, or you yeah. go, girl, or you go, guy, yeah. or you know what I mean? Yeah. 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 Charlie, Charlie does that actually. Charlie and I, at the end of last year, we made a goal for January and it was to send a note or a card or something to people that we wanted to maintain a connection with whether or not it was somebody that was, you know, helping us or somebody that we had helped. And I think it's, yeah, a good way to give back. And it's giving me Absolutely. some ideas. It's so kind. And, and, and what you're doing now with Thank the, you. you know, talk a little bit about that with the talent, with the, how, it, how they yeah. connected. Yeah, it is. I mean, uh, so I feel so lucky right now because I I definitely am trying to develop and hoping to build network effects around Variato and around me and the skills that I have. So even just having this conversation with you is amazing. And it was enabled because Judy Siegel, who's Charlie's mom, yes. works with you and yes. helps you in your nonprofit endeavors and loves working with you and saw a connection between the legacy of Max's and what you've been doing and what I'm trying to do, which is to build a culture of creativity and openness. And that's really future driven. And that's really driven around, you know, the ability of humans to create and overcome and to come together. And that's all just been built through this. So yeah, I mean, I am just, I feel so lucky to be able to chat with you. And I told, I told several people I was talking to you and about this a conversation and they were just so excited for me because, you know, this is, I really am the kind of person that just loves to learn from the examples and the experiences of others. And I'm gonna plug your book one more time because I loved that I got to learn more about you and your experience with Max, Max is because you wrote, certain parts of this book but a lot of this book is personal quotes of people yes talking about their experience with exactly that. and what is so beautiful about a book like that is that that's what i want my story to be like too or variato story i should say yes like our blog i hope will one day be a 
collection of all different stories and experiences, not just mine. And it and really just the idea of a culture of bringing together different things to make and different people and each of them getting better because of that is is exciting. And you know, I I definitely you know, from reading this and the examples, like it's obviously there are a lot of differences. Like I'm not owning a nightclub and a bar. Um, so, you know, there's going to be less of some of the dark side, I think, will be avoided in my endeavors because it's really about advocacy and art. And I don't and I'm not necessarily dealing with the, the hard, the harsher side of the business. Right. But I do think that one thing that you and I talked about and that I am very conscious of right now is once you know the world does start to normalize, I want to also be someone that is building connections in person too. Like I'm yes. excited to meet you in person, to meet Charlie in person, to just meet all of these amazing people that I've come in contact with over the last year I've never met in person and I've been remote for a while so I'm excited about that I think there's a lot about the legacy of Max's in terms of the face-to-face -face interactions being irreplaceable those just yes. like human connections so you know this experience of working with you and and you uh, I've, I'll explain this to the to the listeners but you and I have had several conversations leading into this because I didn't know you and I wanted to get to know you before. And it's been great because I feel a connection to you, especially speaking about Max's and getting to learn so much about Max's through this. I just think there's so much to honor in the legacy and um, of Max's. And I'm hoping that I can continue to do that and to learn from you and that people that are listening to this will wanna learn more and get involved and reach out and help you to tell more stories about artists in need and to help raise more of a recognition about the impact that this pandemic has had on people that just have less privilege. You know, I think, if you go back to the beginning of art and how artists, you know, after the through the Renaissance started to really develop um, notoriety and fame and money from doing what they do, it's because others helped them and others supported them. And, you know, we all just went through something that was really hard. And I do hope that as we come out of this, we will support artists and create art that honors the shared reality that we all just live through. So yeah, I agree. And 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 really create that extended family, which you know that was the one thing. And I I remember one one thing, one particular incident when there was a fire. It really it really like the it was really a. Um, what's the word I'm looking for, an awareness of, of what, what a family had really been created at Max. It's like all of a sudden, everybody just got up and when there was a fire in the kitchen that went up the chute, you know, and 
somebody grabbed the cashier and somebody else was grabbing the art and and people were just you know taking as much as they can and then everybody was out there because they at park avenue they had that mid you know mm-hmm. that yeah the, i know exactly the provider yeah there. and people are just this was their home and people were just standing there looking at it and all together and we it was it was really a sense of unity and 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 that realized we realized what what Mickey had created through this place of bringing all these different people together that it had become this big extended family and in fact we are all still connected to this day if we are here on this on this still living on this planet you know um it's really truly incredible, you know. Wow! And yeah. we'd lo- love to see something like that, like happen again, if that's possible. You know, in some way, you yeah. know, what, we'll see what happens. Yeah, I think after this, a lot's going to be different in terms of human connection, and I think you know, in terms of the arts and supporting one another, whether or not that you know, comes to be in, in, in terms of like a brick and mortar establishment, or if it's more of just like an association or an organization or an idea, I guess we'll, time will tell, but I'm, I'm hoping to be part of an industry at least that recognizes the struggle and the humanity behind each of the performers that comes to this. Yes. Can I? What? I want to ask you one just quick fun question. Okay. You know, tell me about your favorite Max's story that you haven't shared with me yet. Maybe Mickey. <laughs> of, course, of course, that was my favorite Max's story. We have two, Mickey. two incredible children. I mean, that, you know, that dreams do come true. You know, and perseverance and do not give up on your dreams, you know. Yeah. And, and that we, we have a destiny and it really, and, and, and I always say, you know, find, find your bliss, you know, you know, believe in yourself. Good. You yeah. know, I think that's really important. You know, um, I'm trying to think, let me think of another uh, 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 off the wall story that I <laughs> There's so many in the book. Oh my God. If anybody. I guess one of my favorite ones was me, was, you know, my my meeting Tim Buckley, not knowing it was Tim Buckley. Really? In the back room, you know, like, and, and, and he was, you know, he was just not really a a star yet, but he was, you know, was there in New York working on his first album. And I don't know if everybody knows who Tim Buckley is, but they should. And then his son, Jeff Buckley, because they're both amazing um, singer songwriters, really, truly amazing. And I was working in the back room and I was doing this thing with him with the happy, sad face, you know, not knowing, cause he had this curly hair that he, he looked like this little cherub and he, he had this huge smile. And I had no idea that the name of his album was Happy Sad. <laughs> I didn't know. Oh my God, that's so I know, funny. And then, and then um, you know, when I, again, I worked till four and a lot of people would just hang out forever, you know, you had to get, 
And when I walked out the door that night, this was before I was with Mickey, he was standing out there milling about. And of course I knew he was waiting for me. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, wow. and that was, that was, I, that was really one of my highlights. I mean, yeah, that was fun. He was, he was a fun, you know. Oh my God. Yeah. My first, I think Mickey was my first musician. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. Yeah. Happy, sad. 1969. Yeah. Wow. But that came out after, after that, but this was 1960. I think it was 67. I was working there and, because I didn't, I, I stopped working there by the end of 67. Wow. Cool. Yeah. All right. Well, now I'm going to listen to Tim Buckley music the rest of the Oh, day. it's great. Oh, I bet. Yeah. Psych you had me at psychedelic funk. Yeah. <laughs> well, Avon, I just want to say it has been my pleasure and honor getting to know you and interview you and speak with you. And I want to thank... Um, Roy Markle and Charlie Markle and Judy Siegel for bringing us together. And thank you so, so much. Yes, thank you so much too. We'll do this again. We'll do this again. I got a Hollywood lawn story. Oh, good. Yeah, we got to do that. Though. Yeah, yeah. It's a fun one. <laughs> <laughs> Bye, Louise. Bye. <laughs> thank you so much, Yvonne. It was incredible having the opportunity to speak with you, not just for this interview, but in our conversations leading up to this interview. Yvonne and I met several times um, so that we could establish a rapport. And it was really nice to be able to connect and build a connection during quarantine throughout COVID um, across thousands of miles. And I really appreciate the time and energy that went into preparing for this. Um, from Yvonne's end, from Charlie's end. Um, I really cannot recommend enough that you check out High on Rebellion inside the underground at Max's Kansas City. There's beautiful stories and photos and Yvonne really shared um, an amazing uh, legacy with the world. Also, I would ask that you support artists in need in whichever form that takes for you. Yvonne has a foundation set up to honor Max's legacy. Um, check out Drop Into Maxes. Um, also, feel free to just get in touch with us, and we'd be happy to help um, put you in touch with artists that could um, use your support. Yvonne is developing more stories about artists and how to support them and their struggles throughout COVID and throughout um, you know the last year that we've endured together. So stay tuned. There's a lot more coming from Yvonne. And we are really thrilled to be able to add Yvonne to our advisory council. And Yvonne will be sharing more stories and insight with us um, as we continue to grow and build Variato. Thank you so much for joining us. Uh, we look forward to sharing more stories with you on our next episode of Shedding Light Within Entertainment. From Variato Talent, I'm Luis Lizarazzo. See you next time.